Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Amen, amen, amen. Welcome, welcome to Bible study this evening. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for taking out of your time to be here. Means the world. And I want you to just get ready. Get out your writing materials, your Bibles. It's going to be an amazing time. I want you to listen. Tonight's teaching is going to be very, very simple. I promise you that. That I can promise. Nothing too technical, even though it's in itself a technical discipline, right? Which you'll find out very soon. But it has been made very simplistic and also very short. So that every time you get to listen to this, it, it, it doesn't get complicated. It passes through the sieve of your mind with ease. Alright, so it's going to be very simple. And I just need you to go with me on this journey to study all that we have for this evening. Alright, alright. Uh, so, so far in this month, we have been looking at a teaching series called Multiply. And the agenda for Multiply is simply helping you, dear believer, to fulfill the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I find that one of the most daunting things that a lot of people experience, especially in their growth in the Lord, you know, sometimes it might be a struggle to pray regularly. It might be a, a struggle to study your Bible regularly. And, you know, you, you try to do this, you try to, to get the hang of it. Perhaps eventually you scale through, you can pray, you know, much more effortlessly. You can study your Bible very simplistically. It gets to a point that, you know, when it now comes to talking about your faith, telling others about the goodness of the Lord in your life, now that can get a bit tricky and even more so get a bit scary. Sometimes you have asked the question, what would they think? How would I, I don't think I know enough to teach. I don't think I know enough to tell someone about the gospel. What would they say? What if they attack me? What if they don't believe me? What if they don't want to listen? And you have so many questions. You want to know. It's, it's something that every believer at some point, somewhere, somehow, might have asked themselves. And that has restricted a lot of people from taking the bold step to tell others about the love of God. The gospel indeed is good news. It's fantastic news. It's the best news you would ever hear in, the, in your entire life. That God sent his only begotten son to you out of love. As, as a decision, not an emotion. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Have everlasting life. That was God's plan. From the onset, it's always been his plan. But you see, sometimes it's, it, it just seems difficult to tell it. it. It seems difficult to say it for one reason or the other. Especially in this day and age that we find ourselves. A day and age where everyone has their own opinions. Where everyone has their own worldview. Where everyone has their own belief system. We have a world where everyone is opinionated and not only that, they voice it out. Once upon a time, people would have opinions, but they are so scared to say it out. In fact, in very religious environments, it was never the norm. In fact, it was, it was a taboo that you would say, I don't believe a God exists in a community of people 
who believe that God exists. It's a taboo. But what we see today is people who are not ashamed, who are not afraid or intimidated to be associated with the fact that there is no God, with the belief that no God exists. That's the world you live in. You have a world where people with just a few taps on their keypads can talk to a pastor and say, you are, all, you are a liar, you are, you are false, you are this, you are that. There is no God. We live in that generation. The Twitter, Instagram, Facebook generation. That's where we live in. And you see, the thing that we need to understand, in fact, there are a couple of things that I need you all to understand that would help, that would help you realize the situation at hand, okay? And one of those things I want to tell you is what I just mentioned now. Number one is, not everyone believes in the God of the Bible and His Son. Not everyone believes. I think many of us have grown in such an environment sometimes that uh, it depends. Maybe this is you. You've grown up in an environment where everyone is ac- just accepts the idea of a God. Everyone accepts the idea of Christianity somehow. If you grew in that environment, it's very easy for you to fall into the trap that everyone is saved. Everyone is fine. Now when you talk to the next guy, you say, oh, what religion are you? He says, I'm Christian. Because in Nigeria, it's either you're a Christian or you're a Muslim or a traditional worshiper. That's the idea that a lot of people have. Even in forms, when you fill a form, you see those options. Religion, you see Christianity, Islam, sometimes traditional worship, then you see others. So it it almost seems like people's uh, belief system is just a tick on on, of, of a box on the form. That I'm Christian, I'm this, I'm that. But you cannot assume that anymore. If that's what you've always assumed, you have to take away that assumption. It's wrong. Not everyone believes in the God that you believe. And more importantly, in His Son. Some people would even dare say, I believe there is a God. But you see, not everyone believes that that God has a Son that He gave to the entire world for the salvation from their sins and from death. Not everyone believes that. The Muslims believe there is a God, Allah. But they do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in fact, is indeed God in flesh. They don't. So never make that that assumption ever. Don't ever think that way. Some people have claimed to be believers. But in actual fact, they might not actually be believers. There is such a thing as a false idea of conversion. A false conversion. So don't assume that. That's number one. Number two thing that you need to understand is that people have questions but more so they want answers more than you think people have questions people want to know people want to have the the burning questions they've had all all day long all year long they want answers to them and they're counting on someone to provide reasonable answers we live in a generation that is tired of that's how it is Oh, why, why would you say God exists? Because it is. <laughs> That's how it is. You know, why did, how can you be sure that Jesus died? Because the Bible says so. We are not in that generation anymore. If it worked in previous generations, oh, I dare say not in this generation. You can't tell a child anymore, sit down. The child will tell you why. You can't tell the child, I'll flog you. The child will tell you, calm down. Mommy, calm down. <laughs> That's the generation we live in. 
So, people have questions. And I dare say there are some people who are honest about these questions. They actually want to know. And those are the people that are, in fact, they're the easier, if I would call them targets, but they're easier to talk to. Because they want to know. They're not just, you know, dwelling in a bias. They want to be influenced with the right knowledge. So people actually want what you, they actually want what you know. And many believers don't see it. You know enough. You may not know in a lot. You might not be the best theologian around or Bible scholar, but you know enough, especially if you subscribe to this ministry, Vivify, you've been consistent and you've grown with all that we teach. Oh, I tell you, you know more than enough. That is for sure. I can beat my chest confidently and say that with all humility, with all, all humility, that you know enough. And so people want to know. People have questions. Never ending question. They, they have questions that lead to other questions that open doors to even more questions. They want answers. That's the second thing you need to understand. The third thing you need to know is your answers. They count significantly. The answers that you would give, they count. Your every word counts. But guess what? Your answers your well-thought-out answers count even more. When it comes to the message of the gospel, I've explained this to you. I've even shared examples how that your every word counts. Your every word counts. The responses that you give people, it counts. They need to hear the truth. And you are a custodian of that truth. That's who you are. Dear believer, you are a custodian of the best truth in all the world. Praise the name of Jesus. The fourth thing you need to understand is. It then becomes your responsibility. To communicate that truth. Number four. It is your responsibility. To communicate that truth. And the final thing I want you to understand is that it's important to know where you stand. Your convictions matter. Number five, your convictions matter. Today, sadly, what we see today is we find some believers who don't even know what they believe anymore. For example, I'll start with something very simple. Maybe you grew up in, in a church where it was discouraged to wear Certain type of clothes, t- certain types of clothes. You are not allowed to wear uh, pants, that's trousers. You are not a- allowed to wear hair attachments. You are not allowed to put on makeup. And then you go to a community where that seems to be allowed, even though it's a Christian community. And you start to, you know, you just start getting conflicted. Wait, I thought we we're not supposed to wear this. I thought we we're supposed to do that. Maybe you start even going ahead to condemn other people who are wearing those things you were once taught not to wear. And you're just in a dilly-dally. You don't know where to stand. I tell you, it's important for you to understand what you know, to to understand your convictions. It's important because people will ask you. Enough is enough of you saying, that's just how it is. Oh, that's just what I was taught. Oh, that's what pastor this said. Oh, that's what pastor that said. At the end of the day, what do you know from the scriptures? The scriptures, that's where the source is. 
not any pastor, not any bishop, not even an angel from above. The scriptures, the word of God written and rightly interpreted, that is our source. So that's what counts. You need to understand your convictions which are birthed from the word of God. You need to. Excuses won't fly. Preconceived notions that are wrong and false won't fly either. People need to know. Tell tell your neighbor to your left and to your right virtually. (laughs) Tell them you need to know. Hold your ear. You need to know. And you need to understand what you know. Praise the name of Jesus. We live in a world, guys, where people are searching for meaning. People are searching for happiness. And I love how the great uh, apologist and writer, novelist of, of the, the Chronicles of Narnia series, he said something. He said, God can give us peace and happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. People are trying to find peace and happiness outside of God. But there is no such thing. It's not possible. God designed us in a way that only he can satisfy and fill us. And that's why so many people are searching. They searched all over. Couldn't find nothing. They searched high and low. They couldn't find... (coughs) Pardon my voice. But you see... People are searching. The, the truth, the truth is people are searching. They're searching for truth. They're searching for answers. They're searching for happiness. Some are even trying to, 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 to search and run after life eternal. People want an idea of immortality. People want, if they get the chance, they will, they will welcome it with open arms. They want to know. But guess what? You have the answers. You have the answers, dear believer. Brother, sister, you have the answers. And they need you to tell them. The great C.S. Lewis also said this. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. I love that. When it comes to Christianity, it, there, it's not, you can't stand on the fence. It's either be, you believe it's false, and if it's false, it is the most deceitful lie ever told. If the gospel is false, it is the most heinous lie ever told to deceive many. But if it's true, oh, if the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is true, then it's, it's of infinite importance. It is of infinite importance. And it's, it will set many people free. But it's not moderately important. And that's why as a believer, your approach to the gospel, your approach to evangelism cannot be lukewarm. It cannot be mediocre. It must be passionate. If you truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, oh, I bet you, you will not keep silent about it. You will seek every opportunity to tell it. Just as he has done it for you. You will tell it. Praise the name of Jesus. At the end of the day, the goal is not to please everyone. That's not what we're saying. The goal is not to please everyone. Because the truth is you can't. You cannot. In a simple... I mean, some of you can already... I mean, especially those of you who use... Maybe use Twitter. And you you tweet something... 
And you see a bunch of people commenting saying, wow, powerful, this blessed me. If it was an inspirational quote or a scriptural, scriptural one, you see people commenting saying, wow, this blessed me, this is amazing. In that same comment section, you will see a bunch of people saying, this is rubbish, this is trash. You know, people don't have manners on Twitter, have you noticed? <laughs> they don't have manners and they know you can't come and beat them in their houses, they know. So they will sit confident, com- confidently, comfortably behind their keypads and type what they want. And it's fine. They, they, are, they are, you know, they are allowed to their opinions. But you see, you can't please everyone. You can't. You can't. You put up a post of how beautiful you look. Someone will see you and say you're ugly. Does it mean you're ugly? No. <laughs> but not everyone will be pleased by what you do. Don't expect it. Don't expect a world of contradiction to support where you stand. I've always told you the world is a dark place, but you are a light to shine in this world. So don't expect to to be always please the world at every point in time. Even Jesus himself, the Bible, Isaiah described him as a man of sor- sorrows, a man that, that people, you know, they couldn't look at him. They were disgusted by him. Paraphrased. Jesus was one of the most reviled men in his time. People loved him, but people also hated his guts. Praise the name of Jesus. So the goal is not to please everyone, but to release many. I'll say that again. The goal is not to please everyone, but to release many. Praise the name of Jesus. To release them from falsehood. To release them from the power of sin and death through the preaching of the gospel. That's the goal. That's the mission. Praise the name of Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we're running with. And you see, it's our desire here at Vivify Ministries to raise well-rounded believers. Alright, those who have a thorough understanding of the Christian faith. That's my desire. I don't want you to say, oh, because Pastor Kenneth said, oh, because Pastor... No, we want to raise you on the word of God as the ultimate foundation. At the end of the day, anything that anybody, any man or minister of God gives to you is but crumbs. We get those crumbs from the bread of life, from the word of God. That's where the source is. So at the end of the day, whether you are just one year in the faith, You're one day old in the faith or you are several, several decades in the faith. Everyone submits to the authority of scriptures. That's my desire for every one of us. That's my desire. And I trust by the power and by the help of the Lord, every one of you, every single one of you. Oh, I promise you, you will stand for the truth in this generation. You will be a voice to be reckoned with in this nation, in this generation, in our time. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Ah, in this ministry, ignorance is unacceptable. And not just as a, as, a, as a ministry, but as a believer in Christ Jesus. Ignorance is not acceptable. There's zero tolerance for ignorance. You need to know. And the good thing is that we are positioned and we are willing and we are even excited to help you know. Praise the name of Jesus. I want us to read our anchor scripture for today. Very, very powerful. I want you to just turn your Bibles with me. If you don't have a Bible on you for whatever reason it is, 
you can just uh, take a sneak peek into the comment section and you get uh, someone share with you. So we're going to Colossians chapter 4 from verse 6. Colossians chapter 4 from verse 6. Are we there? Are we there? Colossians chapter 4 from verse 6. I love this scripture. I love it so, so much. Alright, I'll give you some time to open it. Colossians chapter 4 from verse 6. Alright, so... uh This is what it says. Let your speech... Let your speech... We're still going to go some previous verses uh, from this, but I want you to see this. It says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. It's beautiful, but let me show you the context. Alright, so from verse 2, see what it says. Verse 2, continue in prayer. This is Paul talking to the Colossians. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God will open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Paul was saying that you should pray this for us that, you know, God should open more doors, more opportunities, more chances to present the gospel to people, to present the mystery of Christ. That's what the gospel is. The mystery which was formerly hidden now has been revealed. He's talking about the gospel. Like, pray for us to have more opportunities where, you know, I'm, I'm in prison right now, but we need more people to hear this news. Have you ever gotten good news that you just can't wait for everyone to hear? I know I have. I know I have. <laughs> and you need to be like Paul in that way. Pray for opportunities. Expect the opportunities. Want that. Verse 4, it says, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Verse 5, he tells the Colossians, walk in wisdom towards them that are without redeeming the time. And then verse 6, where we are now, it says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Oh, I love that scripture. I love that scripture. When you see the word salt, it implies something. It implies adding value. It implies adding vitality. Do you understand? So it's a, you know, he says in everything you do, in your words, let them, you know, when you speak, speak with grace. You know, we, 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 we many times are in a place where we, we joke around a lot, which is good. It's good to joke around. It's good to make jokes. I, for one, love cracking jokes. Very, very dry jokes. I do. <laughs> I enjoy it so much. But you see... At the same time, let your words be fused with grace. Let it be seasoned with salt. In, in, and what that means is, let it be useful. Let what you say edify. Let it bless the other person. Let every conversation that you have be an opportunity to bless someone, to add value and vitality to their life. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. And in this context, more so, he says, so that you know how you ought to answer every man. And what this means is people have questions. And so you need to know how to answer every man. In previous verses, he said, walk in wisdom towards them that are without. 
That means there is wisdom needed to know how to answer people. Let me give you an example. It's very simple. You know, I don't know if you ever grew up in an evangelism or evangelistic church, a mission-minded church. You know, you go on the streets, you have rural evangelism or as they call rugged rural. In some cases where you go to a remote area, you preach the gospel with uh, megaphones, you go with speakers, you go with songs. And people just go gladly walking around. Will you be ready when the Lord shall come? Hey, I will be ready. Hey, well, I will be ready. Timo, I will be ready when the Lord shall come. You know, and they sing all sorts of songs. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. A couple of them just skipped my head. But a lot of songs and chants about, are you ready? Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming again. Are you ready? You know? But you see, your approach matters. This is an issue of approach. Wisdom in approach. It matters. You can go to someone and say, Brother, hey, the way you are smoking your destiny away. You will go, you will go to, this, this cigarette that is burning will not be the only thing that will be burning, no. You will be burning in the place of hell. You understand? You, 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 you know, your approach really matters. You can look at someone and judge them and look at all the things that are wrong in their life. And that approach will only magnify their worst. Do you understand? You don't threaten people with the message of the gospel. You don't tell them, turn or burn. Repent or be sent to hell. No, that's not how it works. So at the end of the day, Paul is advising. He says, you need to know how you ought to answer people. You don't answer arrogantly. Someone might come with an honest question. It might sound stupid to you, but you need to know how you ought to answer every man, every woman. It's important. I'll tell you even further why it's important that we know how to. I'll tell you why now. Number one, and, and what I'm talking about is um, why reasons why your words should be seasoned with salt. Reasons why your approach should be, be should be done with wisdom. All right. Why is it important? Number one, uh, it's a tool that God uses to help break mental and logical barriers. Your responses, your defense as a believer, your answers—they are a tool that God uses. To help break mental and logical barriers. Praise the name of Jesus. They are. Number two. It strengthens one's own convictions. When you learn how to respond to people. It helps strengthen your convictions. It does. It helps strengthen and deepen your understanding. Perhaps you didn't even know so much about something, but because there are questions being asked, you go and prepare. You study to show yourself approved. You get answers. You you look through this. You research. You study more. At the end of the day, you come out more convinced. In fact, it's something I can promise you. If you come as a skeptic, and you go into the scriptures with an open mind, you will never come out as a skeptic. No way. You come out more convinced that this truly is the word of God. This is the God 
of the Bible, the God of the universe. This is Him. So it, don't be afraid when your, your, your faith is challenged. Don't be afraid. If you have doubts, don't be afraid to set the scriptures because they were designed to reaffirm your belief system. The scriptures were designed to reaffirm your belief system. They were, they were designed to reaffirm your convictions. So it's very important because learning how to respond to people strengthens your faith. In seasoning your words with salt, your responses, it helps your convictions. And number three, which is super important, it helps lead people to faith. It helps lead people to faith. So your responses to people can help them actually make the decision to follow Jesus. And the fourth reason why this is important is because we are given examples in scriptures. We are given examples of where People give responses, well thought out, logical responses. Praise the name of Jesus. I'll give you some examples. You know, um, I'll just take a few. Acts chapter 17 verse 2 says this. You know, some people have this idea that in all your dealings, when it comes to other human beings and, and, and trying to defend the gospel, there's no need to argue there's no need to debate, there's no need to fight, there's no need to be aggressive. At the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the love of God. You know, you know, God loves people, He doesn't want us to fight with them or argue with them. No, it's the Spirit that does the conviction. Yes, you have a point. You have a very good point. But I tell you something, that there comes a time where you need to sit down with people and reason with them. You need to understand their point of view and present yours. You know, many times we find a lot of people who don't even want to hear what the other person has to say. But this is a situation of you listening to what the person has to say, what their belief system is, and you coming to present yours. You can do that in an organized fashion. You can do that without spite or hatred, without arrogance, but you can do it in weakness. But guess what? God is counting on you to reason with people. He's counting on you not just to give a vague answer and tell people, oh, it's because the Bible says so, or it's because that's how it's always been. He's counting on you to sit down with people and explain and season your words with salt so that you will know how to answer them. So what I'm saying is that it's important because it's an ex it's exemplary from scriptures. It, we see examples of it. Acts 17 verse 2. Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. That's beautiful. He met some Jews in that area and they didn't believe. They've always known, you know, the Messiah would be a political leader who would conquer, you know, he would conquer and, and destroy the reign of the Romans. They always had that idea. But you see, Paul had experienced the risen Christ. And he was coming to them to tell them, look guys, this is not it. The Messiah has come. And just because you know Jesus of Nazareth was killed doesn't mean that was the end of him. It was through his death 
that all men will experience life. He was trying to explain it to them. They didn't understand. And so the Bible tells us that he what? He went in unto them three Sabbath days. For three good weeks. He went to them to explain every time they gathered together. He didn't give up. The first time he spoke, he said, oh, this guy, he's a lunatic. Or he's probably still pretending. You know, he used to be part of us. He's probably still pretending. This is all a ploy. This is all just, you know, some tactic. But he went again to explain. Some people were like, you know, trying to reason. Okay, this is making sense. Ah, it's true. Isaiah did say that. Oh, it's true. David did prophesy that. He went again and explained and reasoned with them. He didn't give up. He seasoned his words with salt. He was intentional about it. So that he might answer them the way they meant to be answered. Praise the name of Jesus. Another instance was Acts chapter 18 verse 4. Acts chapter 18 verse 4. I love this one. The Bible says, And Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Wow. This was not three Sabbaths. This was every Sabbath. And he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So his audience now was not just the Jewish people who knew the scriptures. There were Gentiles there. How can you present a message to a mixed multitude, a mixed audience? It takes someone who learns to season their words with salt to do that. And he did. He was able to address two different kinds of audiences with one message, because the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it unifies everyone. Whether Greek, Gentile, or Jew, it unites you in one message. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to save all men, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Praise the name of Jesus. Romans 1.16 So it's super important. Don't ever downplay the place of being able to answer people. In fact, all I have been saying so far is a discipline called apologetics. And I promise you I'm going to make it very simple and I'm still going to keep to that promise. But you need to understand what is at stake. Apologetics is simply a, a, a discipline in the Christian faith and in other faiths or, or you know, in the world actually, where you take a stand to defend what you believe. It's, it's from the Greek word apologia, which actually means to, to raise a defense. So if you have a defense attorney who is fighting for his client, what he does to present to the court to tell them that my client here is innocent of all charges, that's apologia. You're giving reasoned defenses. You're not just saying, ah, judge, jury, everyone, my client <laughs> is a good man. Uh, wh wh why do you say that? Because he's a good man. Can't you see him smiling? That's not enough reason. They need to know at such so time on Saturday morning, he couldn't have been at the crime scene because he has an alibi in this place. So he was not present at that time. If you look at the fingerprints on this uh, murder weapon, those are not his. Verified, DNA certified, that's not his. If you look at the shavings of this, 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 you start to analyze, you start to give reasoned arguments and you present it to the court, anyone who is logical enough to see the evidences, to see the reasoning and, and, and you know, the, the thought of, of, of re the thoughts that you, you reasoned with them, they would 
obviously and honestly, if, if, if they are open-minded, they will see that truly your client is guilty, is innocent, pardon me. You know, innocent of all charges because we're able to present a defense. And guess what? God, <laughs> and I say this with all humility, guys, God deemed it fit to be our clients. We are his defense attorney, attorneys now. We are his defense lawyers in this earth. <laughs> sounds weird, right? Sounds maybe sounds even blasphemous, but it's the truth. He has taxed us with the responsibility to defend his person, his nature in a world where people will criticize him, where people will say, where was God when this happened? If God is good, why is this happening? He has charged us with the responsibility, the ministry of reconciliation. He charged it to us. So we are God's defense attorneys. I want you to say that with your chest. <laughs> I am God's defense attorney. It's not a sin. It's a, it's a responsibility. It's not a sin. You are God's defense attorney. That's who you are. And so you have that responsibility to defend him. First Peter 3 verse 15 says it so beautifully. In fact, that's, that's a very foundational scripture for apologetics, which is defending the faith. First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. It means revere Him. Put Him in a place of high esteem in your heart. How do you do that? By being ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It says people will ask you, what is the reason of the hope that you have? You said you have a, you know, a, a beautiful hope, a living hope. Tell me the reason. He says, the way you sanctify and revere God to prove that God is priority to you is by being able to give them answers. He says, be ready always. Very similar to what we read in Colossians chapter 4 verse 6, where it says you need to, 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 to season your words with salt and, and with grace so that you may know how to answer every man every time. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for the reason of your hope. And he says to do it in meekness and in fear. So you see that the Bible encourages that. People will ask you questions. Your friends, strangers on social media, people in your, your relatives, your, your friends, you, you go to your, your place of work, in school, everywhere, people have questions. And they're counting on you to always be ready to give a response to them. Praise the name of Jesus. But I see, I, I, I want to say this, that many times other religions have this idea that if they want to advance their religion, they want to advance their faith, they need to attack. They need to be violent. They need to push. But you see, as Christians, our best attack is defense. I'll say that again. Our best attack is defense. Defending the faith. The truth is, the Bible is, you know, is a real document. It's a real literary text. You can read and you can understand. The Christian faith is not a blind faith. You can look at it, you can observe it, and you can understand. There are logical arguments. It's not just abstract things. Yes, there are things that are supernatural, beyond the natural realm. But I tell you that the Bible is logically consistent. It is. 
It is. It's reliable. Praise the name of Jesus. And the Lord has taxed us with this, with this privilege to be his defense attorneys. Praise the name of Jesus. Oh, glory to God. But you see, uh, let me just add this as we go further. To say that the real war is not just, you know, the real war we are fighting. It's not just, just uh, people's antagonism or people's opinions or the real world we're fighting is beyond what we see. I want us to see Second Corinthians chapter ten. Open your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter ten, from verse three. Second Corinthians chapter ten, from verse three. It says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons, oh, this is a scripture that a lot of people know." But somehow they have misinterpreted it. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Right? Some people have said, you know, casting down all strongholds, every demon in my village. Oh, I bring you down. You know, some people have gone to the other side and say, you know, you might have wrong thoughts. Maybe you have lustful thoughts. And it says, you know, every imagination, I cast down every imagination, every, I bring it to captivity, every thought. Ah, that thought making me to look at that girl. Ah, I bring it to obedience to Christ. To Christ. Now that, that might make some sense, but it's not exactly accurate. What Paul is talking about here to the Corinthians is, look, the we- weapons of our warfare are not physical. That's what the word carnal is here. But you see, it's mighty. Um, our weapons are mighty, you know, to the pulling down of strongholds. You know, it, our, our weapons can cast down imaginations. Our weapons can cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, it's an issue of knowledge. So th- this thing in, in question is contending against the knowledge of God. It says, you know, we can use this weapon to also bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in, in a readiness, verse 6, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What Paul is talking about is a weapon that is not physical. That weapon is one that can bring all ideologies, all people's kinds of philosophies, imaginations, thoughts, different forms of knowledge, bringing it to obedience in Christ. And he's talking about the gospel. The gospel is that weapon. It is that truth. That we can use to bring down all these worldly ideologies that, that try to contend against the knowledge of God. That's what Paul is talking about. So it's very important that we realize that when, whenever we get the chance to defend our faith to people, we are contending this world. We are fighting this fight. We are bringing their thoughts, their ideas, their belief systems, their philosophies subject to the knowledge of Christ. That's what we do when we preach the gospel, when we defend the faith. That's what is going on. That's the real war. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, what I want to do next is is to just give you an idea. I want it to be very practical for you. I don't want it to seem burdensome to you. So I'm just going to give you um, the steps, you know, in seasoning your words with salt. Right? And I'm going to give you, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm going to give you an acronym that I hope you will remember. It's Lara or Lara, 
depending on what part of the world you're from and you're listening to this, it's LARA, L-A-R-A, right? L-A-R-A. So what this stands for is learn. L is learn always, right? L is learn always. Now, this first step means always be inquisitive. Your life must be a learning process, lifelong learning. Commit to lifelong learning. Always want to know more, all right? Of course, your curiosity needs to be uh, put in certain boundaries, but always want to know more. Ask questions. Learn about people because you're going to interact with people and you need to know what they know. And in fact, even more so that you can reasonably give them an answer. So learn, ask questions to ask your own questions, learn, get to know, get to understand. Never stop learning. Be inquisitive, be curious. Maybe you've just been someone lackadaisical or indifferent. No, don't be. If you hear of something and something that you've never heard before that people are popularizing, learn about it. What is this about? And does this line up to the scriptures? Does the scriptures, do the scriptures, pardon me, do they support this ideology? Do they support it? Or is the Bible against it? What is, what's God's idea about this thing? You know, you, you, maybe you have a friend that, that belongs to a different worldview. He, maybe the person believes we came from primates, we came from apes, from evolution. Learn about evolution. What does it talk about? Does it make logical sense? And is it concern? You need to learn. Praise the name of Jesus. So that's the first thing. L, learn always. The next one is A, anticipate. Number one is learn. Number two is anticipate. And what that means is you need to prepare ahead. You need to prepare ahead. You'll be dealing with people from different walks of life. And the Bible says be ready always to give a response to them. What that means is anticipate that people will bring questions to you and prepare possible answers for them. Do you understand? It's okay if you have to. I'm serious. It's okay if you have to rehearse some answers. If you have to. Because that shows you are prepared. It means you're ready. When you, if it says you are ready for an exam, when, you know, they ask you, are you ready for this exam? You know, many of us go the extra mile to prepare. What we do many times is we anticipate the kinds of questions we will be asked and the kinds of answers we will give. We do practice questions. We do past questions. We get ourselves ready. We anticipate. We leave no stone unturned. But sometimes, sadly, when it comes to the things that matter even more, that count more eternally, we seem not to prioritize those things. And it's sad. So when he says, be ready to give a defense, an answer. It means you have to be more ready than you've ever been when preparing for an examination in school. That ready, that serious, that logical in your answer, you need it. So anticipate that people will bring questions to you, that in conversation some things will come up. Expect that that question will lead to this question and that question will lead to another question. Be prepared. And learn, find your answers, prepare your answers. Praise the name of Jesus. So learn, number one. Number two, anticipate those questions. Number three, respond. Obviously, you have to respond. Now, there may be times where you feel you don't know enough. There will be times where you're confronted with the fact that 
a particular question, you probably haven't studied about it, you haven't learned about it, you're probably hearing it for the first time, or it also confuses you like it confuses that person. So you need to be honest with yourself and say, you know what, okay, I don't know this for now, and that's okay. I promise you, that's okay. But what do you do? Make sure that that line of conversation does not stop there. Make sure there is a provision to continue that conversation at another time with the right response. So you need to respond at the end of the day. You need to respond. You need to give an answer. You need to give an answer. And I tell you, your presentation of that answer actually counts. Some people can tell you, oh, it doesn't matter how you say, just say it anyhow. But it's not always the case. Your presentation matters. How you share, how you respond, it matters a lot. But you must respond. Ah, no, you must respond. So you must seek every opportunity, every conversation uh, to, to give an answer to questions. See conversations as opportunities to answer people's questions because they need those answers. I promise you they need it. Number four is another A, which is alignment to the gospel. So the first is learn. Number two, anticipate. Number three, what? Respond. Number four, align. Align to the gospel. So at the end of the day, you've done your logical reasoning. You've told them from science. You've told them from history. You've told them from cultural or social cultural um, records. You've done all of that, all your findings. At the end of the day, that only helps to break logical barriers. And that's good. That's progress. You've made good progress in doing that. But the next step is to remind them, guys, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm not just saying this to prove a point. I'm not just doing this to prove my intellectual prowess. God loves you and he wants you to be saved. So you bring them to a scriptural and a gospel inclined conclusion. You bring them there and tell them, at the end of the day, I want you to see that God loves you. He paid the price for you on the cross of Calvary. He died to save you and forgive you of all your sins so that you may have eternal life. That is what counts. Because you see, logical reasoning cannot save any man. Only the gospel can. Logic can't save any man. Only the gospel can. And that's the end goal. Like I said, apologetics is only a tool that God will use to break some barriers. Praise the name of Jesus. And I'm going to give you a typical example of all these things, right? I'll give you a typical example from one scripture where all these things are applied. You will see it live and direct. So open your Bibles to Acts 17. My time is far spent, but I'll do my best to keep it short. And we'll end uh, with a few do's and don'ts, a few tips and tricks. Alright, so Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 from verse 16. That's where we're going to start. I'll read it very quickly or just summarize. Oh, pardon me. Acts chapter 17 from verse 22. Let's go there. Acts chapter 17 from verse 22. So the situation at this point, Paul is in Greece. He went to a place, uh, the capital actually called Athens. That's where he is. Um, at this point in time, his spirit was, you know, stirred in him when he got there. He was grieved because the whole city was given to idolatry. Everyone there, you know, the people uh, were just, you know, given to different idols, you know. So after a while, he started to dispute in the synagogue with the Jews there and all those people. And and, and certain people um, heard him there. Like there was all they did this in, in those days, you know, in that area, actually, 
is they discussed new ideas, new philosophies, new findings. They were looking for more wise, you know, findings, more wise words, more, you know, they were all very intellectual in that environment. So that's what they did all around, wanting to find new things, to hear new things. And they heard from Paul when he was speaking that he was talking about Jesus and resurrection. And like, ah, no, 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 we need to talk more about this. Come, 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 come. He, he, he became an instant celebrity. They wanted to take him to a place called Areopagos, you know, to talk about this thing, you know. But Paul was very observant. He was very observant. He had noticed a lot of things um, in that place. So he was learning. Are, are you with me? In fact, before this time, he had learned. He had spent time with the Athenians and the Greeks here. Um, and he had learned about their culture. He had learned about their history. He knew about them. He knew what they believed. He observed, he saw the idolatry in the land. You know, and look at verse 22. Look at what happened. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. And he said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. You know, he says, I perceive it. You guys are very religious uh, uh, people. You have statues, you have idols. I perceive that that's you know, the kind of people you are. That's how he's starting so this is a very, very typical example or very beautiful example of, uh, of, you know, how to engage in apologetics, right? Um, next he said, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship him declare I unto you. So he said he used that as an opportunity. He saw an opportunity. He saw that, look, these guys ascribed, you know, an idol, a statue to a particular god, a particular god called the unknown god. They don't know him. And he said, you know what? Let me tell them about this unknown god. Because there's a god I know and I can make him known to these people. He saw that as an avenue and he took it. And he said, God made, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that the Lord is of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples, made with hands. So what he was doing, he was already anticipating their questions. They were going to ask, you know, does God um, live in temples? Does this God, does he dwell in places that human beings built? Uh, does he take our offerings, the things we offer to him, you know, and we serve to him? Uh, you know, this God, does he have life? Can he speak? You know, can he... You know, basically, does it look like us or what? They had questions. And he, in his defense, he was answering those questions one by one. Look at verse 24. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that the Lord is of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. So he was clarifying the question of where does God live? And he's telling them definitely not in temples made with human hands. You know, the real reality we know now as believers is that God does dwell in temples. But guess what? They are temples built by his own hands, which is us. Praise the name of Jesus. The Bible tells us we are temples of the Holy Ghost. That's beautiful news. Hallelujah. But he was trying to tell them, see, God is vast. He's huge. He doesn't need to be, you know, he doesn't need a place. He doesn't need, he's not homeless. He doesn't have a, he doesn't need shelter. Do you understand that you have to build him a temple? No. He's saying he doesn't dwell in those kinds of t- temples. And he said, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything. That that worship with men's hands, that means being offered sacrifices. You know, they used to offer sacrifices to their idols uh, for whatever reason to worship or to pay penance. He said, no, he doesn't need that because 
he gives life to all people. He gives them breath. So he doesn't need anything to sustain him. Rather, he gives all that sustains life. Can you see he has answered another question that he anticipated they will have? Next, he went on to say, and you know, had made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So he's still emphasizing the fact that all life from, comes from God. He created all men of all nations. He had determined the times before appointed. The, 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 he determined where they will live, their habitations. Do you understand? You know, verse 27 says that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Now he's bringing another idea, another answer that God is not distant. He's not just some place up there away. He's personal. He can be known. He can be known. He's not far away from us. Can you see how he's answering all these questions? He's responding after having anticipated these questions. He's responding to them. Um, and then it says, you know, goes on to say in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being very popular, uh, uh, very popular saying that many of us know but guess what see this this was a product of his learnings he said for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring so he says as and, and that's what he's saying we are also um his offspring um I think the name of the poet is um, Aximenides. I've forgotten the name of the poet, but it's around that. Uh, some Greek poets that he had said that we are also of his offspring. And what he was trying to do was to identify with them. Do you understand? You know, sometimes when you identify with the person you're talking with, it makes it easier for them to listen to you. If you just seem like a stranger, you are distant, you're not like the person... You know, all that they will see are the differences, the differences, the difference in our views, the difference in our, you know, in our looks and our appearance and our traditions. But when you come from this angle, you know, saying, you know, like your religion says or like your um, people say, that, I, that sort of makes them identify with you one way or the other and helps pass across the message even deeper, more convincingly. I hope you are following so far, guys. This is interesting. This is a very interesting story. And it says, for him, in him we live, move, and have our being. As certain of your prophets have even said, we are also of his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought... So, he, you know, the poets have said that we are of the offspring of God, right? We are the children, so to speak, of God. So he's trying to explain to them, said, if then we are the offspring of God, we do not need to think, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. So he's trying to tell them that, see, if we look like God, then how can you now say that God should look like a stone or gold? Do you look like stone? Do you look like gold? Do you look like an artwork? No. You breathe. You look. You see. Do you understand? You move. But these idols you've built, these statues, they are stationary. They're made from gold, made from bronze. They don't move. They don't have life. But your poets say you are the offspring of God and you have life, you move. So he's trying to explain to them, see, God is, first of all, he doesn't live in temples made with human hands. He doesn't need your sacrifices. You know, he's not far away. And also, guess what? He doesn't look like stone. He's not inanimate. He's alive. He's living. He's real. In verse 30, he says this. So after this, he has responded to their 
questions, possible questions they will have. But see what he does. In verse 30, and the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now, now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Now he has brought a message of repentance now. Because he has appointed a day, verse 31, in, in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he had ordained, whereof he had given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. He's addressing resurrection, which was also a question they had. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's introduced Jesus now. See, there will come a time you, you've been in ignorance about this unknown God, but I've revealed him to you. But guess what? The stakes are high. It's not just added knowledge now. There's going to be judgment. For not knowing this, there's going to be judgment in the world by the man Jesus Christ. He will be the one to judge. You know, and verse 2 says, when they heard of the resurrection, all of them, some of them mocked and others were like, ah, this is serious too. Ah, oh God, we'll hear of this matter again. You know, and Paul departed from them. You know, they brought him there and then he went. He was fine. He didn't say, oh no guys, I beg you. He didn't become obnoxious. He said what he said. But you see, he brought them to an alignment to the gospel. He aligned them to the gospel. He brought them to a, 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 a you know an evangelical conclusion. Do you understand that? So with all his logical historic you know historical proofs, he brought them to that conclusion. And then look at the beautiful thing in verse thirty four. How be it certain men cleave unto him and believed, among which was Dionysius of Areopagite, the Areopagites from Areopagus. Uh, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So he already had a following from this. There are people that actually believed. So he didn't please everyone, but guess what? He released some. Remember when I said that? And that was because he applied these things. He seasoned his words with salt in this way. He learned their traditions. He anticipated their questions and he responded to those questions. And ultimately at the end of the day, aligned them to the message of the gospel. Isn't that just beautiful? He larad them. <laughs> That's what he did. Right? Um, but, you know, because time is far spent, I want to just give you some tips. This, these are practical things. These are not far-fetched things. These are things you can do yourself. And you should do. Alright? You, you can get better in this. Right? This is not a, a teaching series on apologetics. That's why we're not going so detailed into some world religious or uh, world views. But I want you to have, you know, the rough foundational idea of it. So here are some do's and don'ts that I would say that would help you um, in, in defending your faith. In defending your faith. These are some of the things that will help you. Number one, understand the question or questions, right? Number one, understand the questions that are being asked. You need to understand exactly what is the person asking, what is the person not asking. Do you understand? What is it that this person wants to know? Understand the question. If you don't understand, ask for clarity. Ask again, what does it, what does that mean exactly? Oh, sorry, I don't know what that means. Can you explain? Understand the question being asked to you or understand the concern. It might not be a question. It might just be a concern or it might be a doubt someone has, you know, you know, understand the doubt, understand the question, understand the skepticism, understand what the situation is on ground. Number two, understand the questionnaire. By questionnaire, I mean who is asking the question. Understand that person. Understand the person that is asking the questions. Get to know who is speaking. Where are they coming from? Where is this coming from? 
to many people, it might just simply be an intellectual question. They just want to know intellectually and have some intellectual satisfaction. For some others, it's not just, you know, it, it, it's more visceral than intellectual. For, for some, it's just that they want to, you know, they want to just be assured because they've had some sort of emotional hurt. It might be from an emotional vantage point. They start to doubt God because of certain experiences in their lives or certain happenings that are going around in the world. Especially this period where we've had a lot of protests, a lot of violence and injustice being done. You know, a lot of killings that have happened. And a lot of people is plagued their mind. How would a good God let all these things happen? People will ask those questions. You need to know where are they coming from. Some people might even ask questions to trap you. They asked Jesus questions. They told him, the law of Moses says we should throw stones at an adulterous woman. What do you say? They said this to test him, the Bible said. So people will ask for different reasons. It's your job to not just understand the questions, but to understand who is asking. Where are they coming from? Number three, don't back away. Number three, don't back away. Say yes to every conversation. Right. Unless you already discover that, you know, that conversation is meant to do you harm. And many times, even some conversations that are meant to trap you. Guess what? God's wisdom with the seasoning of the salt of your words, you know, and God's wisdom. You can actually give an answer that not just releases you from a trap question, but releases them from the trap of sin and the trap of falsehood. Do you understand? So at the end of the day, don't back away from any conversation say yes to them welcome conversations welcome questions if you don't know those answers yet remember what i said go back and learn some more and then come back to respond praise the name of jesus number four don't be arrogant don't you dare be arrogant a lot of us have come to know the truth about the gospel some of us have come to know the truth about sound doctrine you know and the lord jesus christ it's very easy to get carried away. It's very easy for you to just feel like you are superior and the other people are inferior to you. They're subjugated to what you know and, and, and your knowledge. But that's not the truth. They need you. And so that should humble you. They need what you have to say. So in your presentation, like First Peter 3.15 says, you should do this in meekness and in fear, in reverence for them and in reverence to God. Don't ever be arrogant. Even if the conversation starts to get heated, it starts to, you know, go up in flames and you guys are exchanging words. No matter what, make sure that you do it respectfully. Make sure that you don't harm them. Make sure you are blameless, even in your presentation of the gospel. Make sure that you have good conduct, good character. You're not triggered. Praise the name of Jesus. Number five, extend the burden of proof. Extend the burden of proof. And, and this is something that I will need to explain a bit. So just pay attention. Many times when we encounter skeptics of the faith, people who don't believe what we believe or just criticize it openly or cynical towards it, um, what you need to know is that uh, the burden of proof many times will be placed on you. The burden of proof simply means you are the one required to give all the answers. That means they don't have any responsibility. They don't even need to give any answers. You are the one with that responsibility. So many times they will just push it to your side or... If God exists, tell me what, why, why this, why that? Prove that God exists. Prove this, prove that, prove this. But what you can also do is extend the body of proof. Okay, if you don't believe that God exists, what do you believe? So that gives them a reason to respond. So that gives them a reason to have a belief system. 
some might might be honest and say, oh, I don't know. I don't know where all life came from. I don't know where where I came from. I don't know. I can't tell. I don't know if Jesus really existed. I don't know. I can't tell. You know, some people might be honest to say that, but that way you've put the burden of proof. You've extended it to them. So you can also see their reasoning um, and also the weakness of their reasoning, where, wherever that is. Do you understand? So don't, don't always play victim that, oh, they're asking me, they're asking me how to respond, how to respond. You ask questions that will put the burden of proof on them too. It's very important for a conversation. That helps you to see more. That also helps them to realize that they don't know. Many times they are so con- convenient with the fact that many believers don't know today. Many believers are not smart enough. But when you ask the average skeptic, oh yeah, what do you believe? Tell us. They start to scratch their head. They start to bring up theories that don't hold water. So that's something you need to learn in your conversations. Redirect the questions back at them. Hear what they have to say too. You understand? And when they say, be ready to respond afterwards. And the last thing I'll say in all of this, uh, pray like you never have, like you haven't preached. Pray like you haven't preached at all. Let your prayers for these people that you interact with be so heartfelt and be very, very uh, passionate. You know, you want to see that their hearts are changed. At the end of the day, this is not just a discussion. It's not just a debate. It's not just an argument. You want to see all men saved just as much as God wants to see all men saved. Praise the name of Jesus. So with all of this, I hope you've understood what it takes to season your words with salt, to prepare adequately, to present and defend the gospel to uh, people who don't believe. Praise the name of Jesus. So I want us to just turn this in prayer uh, to prayer real quick. I want us to just pray, Lord, help me to stand for the truth in my generation. In a generation where people are contending and fighting against me, help me to stand strong and stand firm, unshaken, unmovable in my convictions. And I will give an answer to everyone who asks me for the reason of my hope. In the name of Jesus, I want you to pray right now fervently with all the passion you can muster right now. I want you to pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, help me to defend my faith wherever I go to take a stand without fear. Help me to take a stand in the name of Jesus. I will not be afraid, but I will take a stand for the truth. I'll present the truth to people wherever I go in the name of Jesus. I'll give the right answers. I'll anticipate their questions and provide the answers rightly and, and accurately delivered in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Brato sokuta na dabana kate vene dezi. Jete kete mene de brakuto saka de Oh Lord, in this generation, we will be voices to be reckoned with. We'll provide answers. We'll think logically. We'll respond logically. But also at the end of the day, we'll bring many souls to you, Jesus. We will not be, it might not please everyone, but we'll release some in the name of Jesus. We'll release them from the shackles of sin and death and falsehood and the hold and power of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, we pray that the gospel thrives with us. Oh Lord, we pray that Lord, the gospel thrives on the vehicle of apologetics, on the vehicle of our defense of the faith. The gospel prospers in the name of Jesus. The gospel prevails. 
Father, we pray. Father, we pray. Let us be vital tools in this fight. Let us be vital tools in the pulling down of strongholds and casting down of imaginations that are trying to lift themselves up above the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We bring them right now to obedience to Christ through the message of the gospel in the name of Jesus. We break barriers. Come on, begin to proclaim this as we are praying. We break barriers. Oh Lord, logical barriers, mental barriers spiritual barriers intellectual barriers that are trying to hinder the access of the word of god they are they're trying to hinder the the the, the, the perv, you know the 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 pervasiveness of the gospel in the name of jesus we pray right now that those walls are broken those barriers are taken down even as we pull them down by the preaching of the gospel and in answering every man as we ought to thank you jesus thank you jesus oh we thank you daddy we love you Oh, praise the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. And precious Father, we pray that by your power and by your grace, we apply the wisdom you provide in answering all men, in giving a a proper response. May we ever be found learning. May we ever be found in anticipation of people's questions. May we ever be found responding and reasoning with them, even if it means taking decades or taking you know, year after year or month after month or week after week, just to make sure that the people we are speaking to come to a place of conviction of the truth. Lord, help us to do so. Help us to be patient in so doing. Help us to be dogged about our faith in the name of Jesus. Oh, we thank you. Help us to maximize our networks in presenting the name of uh, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ to all men, in presenting the message of the gospel. We love you, Daddy. We thank you for this grace, for this fresh release. We take it more seriously. We take our evangelistic lifestyle and life more seriously in the name of Jesus. And our evangelistic lifestyle will produce a huge harvest of souls in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus. I want to appreciate every one of you for being a part of this. This is amazing to have you here, that you took your time out and sacrificed the time to be here to learn at the feet of the Lord and the word. That is amazing. And I'm I'm super glad you're here. I hope you have been blessed. I hope this word's edified you and strengthened you to do more for the kingdom's cause. God bless you. Thank you very much. I also want to make an announcement um, uh, to welcome everyone. If this is your first time, you can leave a comment. Let's celebrate you. Thank you for joining the Vivify ministry. If you're here, let's celebrate you. It's a, it's a place, the family to, that helps you grow in your faith in the simplest ways possible, but also in the most powerful ways. Oh, we love you already. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank everyone who participated in the fasting season. Thank you all for being a part of the fasting. Thank you all for availing yourselves to be, uh, to, to, to pray along with us, to pray for the country and your family. I, I look forward to hearing those testimonies. If you have testimonies, feel free to share them with us. Let's celebrate the, the goodness of the Lord in your lives. Um, so I want to say, uh, that we, we should end on this note. Let's take our vivified benediction. Are you ready to say it with your chest? Are you ready? All right. We are sons of God, heirs of salvation, born of his spirit, 
For we have been saved by his death, raised by his life. We live in him, by him, for him, forever. And he lives in us because we have been vivified. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you all. We've been vivified. And that means we have been raised to life. We've been brought to life. We've been enlivened and empowered by the Spirit. Glory to Jesus. Thank you all for making a date with us tonight. Have the most blessed week ahead. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.